When I was a kid, I wanted to be a blank when I grew up, but now I'm a blank. Do you want to, do you want to fill that in? Yeah, I understand how it was, I was supposed to work, but this is how it works now. I understood what you meant. Keep it. Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. My guest today is Tehran Van Rasri. Tehran is an Iranian-American comedian, actor, host, and television and radio personality. Born in Washington, D.C. to an Iranian father and African-American mother, Tehran has done stand-up comedy all over the world and frequently hosts shows at the Laugh Factory. He also co-hosts the podcast Back to School with Maz Jobrani. Without further ado, welcome to the pod, Tehran. It looks like somebody did their homework. What's up, my man? Ben! Ben! Ben Hanani! Hanani! <laughs> so first, I always like to start by asking... By the way, that was my that was my D-bag voice when people yeah. were like, Ben Hanani! What's up, Ben Hanani? I hate those people, and I hate the Persians who are extra kissy-touchy. You know what I'm talking about? Or like, oh, yeah. Whoa, and you're like, yo, can I please have some space? I don't know you, Bobak. Just back up. Let me live. Why are we kissing and now French kissing? Can I live? I feel like that that happens to you a lot, right? At the Laugh Factory, so pre-COVID much. at least. So much. Still, which makes it worse. <laughs> Do you understand why we have social distancing? We don't even care about the disease. I just want to stay away from you. Like I've never seen it. But Persian people are the are the best and worst people at the same time. I love when Persian people are about to sneeze, so they take their mask down. Like my dad would <laughs> true. Like that's the point of the mask. Do you understand how it works? But that's how so it works. Have you so I know Maz Jabrani has developed the namaste as his like subtle, polite way of getting people to back off. Do you have a tactic or no? This is the best part about being half black. I never needed a tactic. We pound it up. We've been pounding for years. Yo, right here, buddy. Right. Hey, boom. Done. Move it on. That's it. You've Amazing. seen it. You've seen it in work. You've seen it. Boom. We're moving. That's why it took I, I so knew, long to get in the black community. <laughs> <We've> I, been... <laughs> I knew this interview is not going to go to script, but I, I like how it's, I like how we're starting anyway. Oh, you have a script? <laughs> you have a script? Did you just meet me? You know me. <laughs> There's one thing I do is I take scripts and I rearrange. And you know yep. that for a fact. <laughs> I do. I do. I do want to ask you, though, like, how do you organize all your thoughts? Do you... Do you put them in like a notes app? Do you do voice notes? I know different comedians have different approaches. I'm curious what yours is. I don't organize my thoughts. I let my thoughts organize me. I am a notebook person. And when I say notebook, I have a notebook, which I rarely use. Oftentimes I have these brilliant ideas and images and comedic thoughts. And I'm like, this is so great. I'll never forget it. And of course I forget it. And if you ask me about it two minutes later, it's done. Now, you and I have worked together, and you already know, you have my attention for 14 minutes a day. That is my, <laughs> that is my work limit. If you want me to get something down, 14 minutes. In those 14 minutes, I am brilliant. But if it's not written down, if it's not done, I will forget everything. It's actually a gift and a curse. <laughs> so when you're coming up with jokes, I've always been curious as a host, how do you decide between which jokes you want to keep for your set 
and which jokes might be better for like a transition between acts? Do you make a distinction or not really? There is no distinction, distinction for me. As a comedian, one of the things that I am, as, as I strive to be a great comedian, is I'm ever present. I'm always in the moment. I'm always observing. I'm always taking things in. I'm always paying attention and learning from my surroundings. I'm extremely aware. And so there is no transition. There is no joke that can be unturned. I have the presence of mind in the presence of being of continuously creating and evoking my expression. So I'm always creating and expressing and communicating my thoughts, especially when I'm on stage, which is why you can come to multiple shows. And while there may be some jokes that I repeat because like any good joke comedian, uh, we write much like a singer. You wouldn't expect a singer to go on stage and sing a brand new song every time they go up. Well, as comedians, we're writing jokes, which are just like songs. We're telling these songs, they're just in joke format. And we do the same, it's the same format. There's rhythm, there's tone, there's, there, there's uh, harmony to them, same process. So while I do repeat jokes, for the most part, you get a lot of new Tehran every time you come to a Tehran show. Are you always that dialed in even when you're not on stage and you're hosting and somebody else is on stage? Are you also pretty aware of their set or are you kind of focusing in, on your material? When I'm in the club, I'm aware of everything that's going on in the club outside. The material to me is all of you. The material to me is the world. The material to me is the trend and the pop culture and the news. That's all material to me. So I'm always just taking everything in. When other people are on stage, I tend to watch a lot of their set, making sure that there are not thoughts that overlap. Parallel thought happens all the time where, for example, it's raining in LA today. We may make, we may be five miles apart, which in LA terms is a thousand miles apart from each other, but we may make similar observations and make similar statements. It's not one person taking from the other, it's called parallel thought. It happens all the time. If any of us think we've ever had an original thought that no one has ever thought before, then we are delusional. The truth is everything that could ever be thought has been thought and it's moving. The difference is as a comedian, I give it my personal unique perspective. And so while I'm in a club and I'm watching other comedians, I'm making sure my material doesn't overlap. I'm also listening to them. And I love flashes of brilliance. Comedians tend not to laugh. This is what we do. Oh, that was funny. That's a great, that means you just killed the joke. <laughs> the best is when you're about to get a standing ovation, we don't say, oh, that was funny. Or we don't go, <laughs> this is what we do. I should have thought of that. That's how we are. We're literally grading each other all the time. I tend not to watch comedy or comedy specials outside of the comedy clubs that I'm in. And I tend to try to limit my exposure because I don't want it to infiltrate my own personal train of thoughts. But the truth is I'm always taking everything and everyone in. One of my favorite things about your shows, and, I, and some hosts do this, but I think you do this especially well. You do a great job of not just crowd work, but finding a character who you can, I guess, poke fun of, but not in a malicious way, but poke fun of throughout the night. And you kind of like establish this runner. And I think the way you do it is really nice because you never do it in a way that I feel like would leave someone feeling like they just got bullied for two hours. Like anytime we go to your shows, people feel like even if they got picked on, right, they feel like that was a fun time. They don't feel like they were bullied. How do you how do you figure out like that distinction? Does that register for you or do you think you're naturally 
the, the Iranian hospitable side of you is is uh, more calm in that sense. It's possible that's that's actually a great way to look at it, that it has a lot to do with my sense of respect and culture. But it also has to do with the fact that picking on someone is not funny. Putting someone down is not funny. Making fun of someone is not funny. I don't ever make fun of. I have fun with. There's a difference. And that distinction is very fine. I don't ever punch down. I punch up. Why are we going to go after the person who may seemingly be the easy target? That's the low-hanging fruit. That fruit is always going to be the most rotten. No, I go for the top of the tree. I climb <laughs> all the way to the top and I pick the fruit at the very top, at the center, and that's the one I love to take a bite in. And that's the reason we all have fun. We all have fun with it. And that's the one thing about comedy. Even if you think about your favorite comedians, you may think about one, two, or three jokes. At the most, four or five jokes that they've ever had in their lifetime. So your legendary comedian only has five jokes? No. It's because as people, oftentimes, most of the times, we won't remember what someone said to us, but we'll always remember how they made us feel. And mm -hmm. I always want people to leave feeling like they just enjoyed themselves. Hopefully they had fun and hopefully even more, they learned just a little something about a different perspective as they walk out that door. That's the difference between crying and laughing. Life is a tragedy. Comedy is looking at that tragedy and making it from a different perspective. Tragedy is it up close. Comedy is that long lens. Same event, same story, different perspective of looking at it. When people cry, even if it's a group of people crying, they're crying at the same time, but they're not crying together. But when mm. we laugh, when we laugh as a society, when we laugh as an audience, we are always laughing together. And that's what the true power of comedy is. Mm, that's profound, man. I like that. Whoa. Um, I mean, I'm, I read I'm it sure on a like... fortune cookie. I read it on a fortune cookie. <laughs> so. It sounded good. I always wanted to say it to someone like, oh, look, look at what I thought of. Do you, were you always good at crowd work or is that something that you think is like a muscle you've strengthened over time? I wasn't always good at comedy. Crowd work has always been my thing because I've always been an orator of such as a person who is constantly between so many different worlds, whether it's in my personal immediate family or uh, just walking outside the door. I learned how to communicate with a variety of people efficiently very early on in my life. And that is the skill set that I bring. I've been doing crowd work since I was getting in trouble for it at school. That's what I was doing. I was technically just doing crowd work. It's the comedy that practice makes perfect. It's the written, it's the bits, it's the jokes, it's being able to tell a story, it's premise, build up punchline that takes all the practice. That's where I've been putting in my outlier time. But I've been doing crowd work since I was, you know, high school, I was the crowd work king. That's why I was always in detention. So that's the thing. Crowd work is something that is a skill as well, but it is thankfully natural to me. Comedy is a talent that is a skill set that can be practiced. And anyone who wants to be a comedian, practice makes perfect. There is no, the, the best way to get ahead in comedy, just work hard. You'll see the best shortcut, the best shortcut in comedy. And most of the things you want to be successful at is work hard, work hard and you will be successful. It may take time, but eventually you will get there. It is a marathon, not a race. For when you say working hard, in practical terms, what does that mean? Does that mean doing like five to six sets a week? Like, is there like a metric you put on it where like this is 
at least the bare minimum you have to be doing. So I, this is talking three to five sets a night. This is talking about quality time. This is talking about building up your one minute to three minutes to five minutes to 10 until you're fully doing an hour set so you can headline. This is writing and coming up with material and chipping away all the time. This is putting in that effort, watching the greats, looking, studying, observing, paying attention, being aware. It is being able to take critique and criticism and rejection all the time. It's all of these things and then some. That's what it means to work hard in the field of comedy. And that's actually applicable to any field that you go into. Any field you go into where it's a destiny and not just a career. When it's a destiny, you'll find this, whether it's in real estate or if it's as a doctor, lawyer, engineer, when it's your destiny. And those are the ones, we have a lot of, we have a lot of mathematicians, but Albert Einstein, we have a lot of physicists, Albert Einstein, that's a destiny, right? When yeah. you get to that level, you have a lot of philosophers, but Kant or Nietzsche, these are the guys where it became their destiny. They didn't clock in and clock out. This became a lifestyle. Sigmund Freud, a lot of psychotherapists and psychiatrists, Sigmund Freud is that standard. When you do this and you're, you're, you're going through that, you're going through that battle now, when you apply yourself and the best investment you can ever make is believing in yourself, you will find success is much closer than you think. Speaking of the great ones, I mean, I, I read that you were partly inspired to to pursue comedy from fellow Iranian comedians, Maz Jabrani and Maximini. I think a lot of people might not know. You actually have a master's in economics from George Mason. I have a master's and a law degree. I do. And a law oh, degree. Sorry, I, didn't, I forgot about the JD. Don't, anyway, don't forget. You, you know who doesn't forget? <laughs> the school loan people. They never forget. <laughs> They've never forgotten once. So having all those certifications, how did you realize, how did Max and Maz help you realize that comedy was your calling? First of all, when it comes to education, you can never be overeducated. Oh, education is the responsibility of everyone, especially minorities and marginalized communities in the United States and abroad. Being educated is an important factor. It's an extremely important factor. You can never be overeducated, overdressed, or overprepared. You walk into that 7-Eleven, with the tux on, they'll let you buy your Skittles. You walk in with no shirt, no shoes, no service. So I never ever felt regret in being educated or overeducated. I love my educational background. It's part of who I am and part of my comedy. I use it in my everyday life, uh, whether, I, whether it's apparent or not. As far as comedy goes, Max Amini is the first person who got me up on stage asking me to host his exotic imports show in Washington, DC, followed up by Maz Jabrani, who came into town six months later. And once I had that one, two comedy bite bug bit me, I was all for it. Next thing you know, I was figuring out a way to make it to LA and perform here, which I do pre-COVID. I did two nights a week of my own at the Lab Factory on top of all the other shows. I remember like years, years ago, I remember I saw you doing a show entirely in Farsi. And I was so struck by how you're able to, to pull that off and then just, you know, seamlessly go into a Laugh Factory show. I know for a fact that that presents funny problems. Like you get the people who saw you doing a full show in Farsi, then expect to see you do that or a version of that 
when they come to your show at a club. How do you how do you juggle the, these like different demographics that you've done such a good job bringing in, but might not necessarily gel the same way in one room together? Well, that's the concept of what who I am as a person and what my comedy is about is bringing people together who might not necessarily be ever in the same room, let alone laughing at the same same joke. The concept is I'm a comedian, not a caterer. I don't cater to the audience. <laughs> I perform comedy for the audience. And that comedy is a perspective which I'm presenting. It's actually why comedians move the microphone stand away when they start their comedy. I'm giving, I'm removing the metaphorical wall, the literal figurative metaphorical wall from in front of me. I'm giving and administering a piece of my soul to every single person in the audience. That's what I'm actually doing. And giving that piece of me means that I'm relatable to everyone. That's the concept of comedy. Also that I will make sure people are more importantly relatable to me. I bring them into my universe, no matter what language you speak. I perform comedy in one summer. I perform comedy in Washington, DC, capital of the United States, New York City, the capital of the world, Beirut, the capital of Lebanon, Tel Aviv, the capital of Israel, in Palestine, in Ramallah, then went to Dubai and spent the summer in Saudi Arabia performing. Everybody all across the world having fun with me. And the reason why that's so important is because you realize in the world, we're all much more alike than we are different. Audiences everywhere can relate to the concept of fighting with your girlfriend. Everyone does. There is a man in China right now fighting with his girlfriend. Whether they're a communist or not, they are fighting with their girlfriend. Gives it a perspective. There's a, there's a kid right now in Nigeria who is annoyed at their Nigerian parents. That's a perspective. So I just bring my own stories and I bring everyone into that world and they find comfort as it relates to themselves. And that's what I try and strive to do best. Speaking of all these places you've been to, the last thing I want to ask you before we go into rapid fire is when you're touring, is there anything that you found you do differently? Like, is your creative process at all different when you're touring versus when you're at home? No. So the concept <laughs> is when I'm touring, I tend to do the same exact thing that I do at home. I stay in my room. That's actually a lot of, of the process. A lot of people might not know this about me, but I'm actually an introvert. I like having my space and being alone and just being lost in my own thoughts. And I do the same thing when I'm on the road. The only difference is if I go to certain countries, like for example, when I went to India for two weeks, I took a bunch of power bars and Gatorade with me because I didn't want to have any type of stomach issues at all. Other than that, I'm pretty much me no matter where I go in the world. That's why I'm always wearing a bathrobe. I always feel at home everywhere I go. I'm comfortable. I'm just being me. And that's my greatest weakness and my greatest strength. Okay, one more thing I have to ask you is, you always wear a robe, but you always also wear a cap that says Tehran on it. I uh, do. And you have perfectly good hair. You're not hiding a balding head. What, what inspires that? <laughs> Actually, I'm gonna tell you, the story beyond the cap is when I was in high school, I used to wear team hats and people would come up to me and argue with me like, oh, you like the Lakers? The Lakers suck. And I'm like, I don't care. It matches my <laughs> shoes. Like I have no feelings about the Lakers or the, or the 
Wizards or Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the Patriots or any team that you can think of, I have no opinion of. I simply like greatness regardless of what form it comes in. Good for them, number one. Number two, the school, because of a couple situations that happened, then banned any team memorabilia or logos. So no one could wear team hats. And I went out and got Tehran hats because I'm my own favorite team. I'm my own favorite brand. And the school, they were upset. They were like, that's not okay. And I said, why? It's not a logo or a team that's affiliated with anyone outside of me. So that was the first shortcut and rules that I made. As far as the bathrobe goes, a lot of people always ask about the bathrobe. I wear the bathrobe. I've worn it through since high school, college, uh, going into law school, everywhere. I, I wear the bathrobe in every country I've been. I've, I've worn the bathrobe in over 56 countries uh, in over 2,000 shows. Now, the reason I started wearing the bathrobe in the first place, here I am setting the scene. Tehran in high school thinks he's the coolest kid in the world, plays basketball, he's just the guy. Everyone, I'm just, I, I, you think I think I'm cool now? I was even cooler in high school. Come to take the SATs. It tells you on the instructional to feel comfortable. Wear something comfortable. I decide to wear my bathrobe, half joking, half serious. I go to school. Now, in our school, we were broken into sub-schools. My sub-school principal loved me. The overall school principal liked me. My administrator, the person who was directly in charge of us, hated my guts. I was just, I was Zach Morris. I was, <laughs> I was the, the slick kid in school. He just hated my guts. Tells me I can't take the SATs. I said, why? I'm already kind of late. He's like, you can't take it. You're not dressed appropriately. I point at the girl who has booty shorts and and a tank top, and I say, she's dressed appropriately. I point at the guy with swim trunks and flip-flops, and I say, he's dressed appropriately. If I take this off, then I'm dressed appropriately, but because I have more clothes on, I'm dressed inappropriately because you can't think outside the box and understand the social construct of calling this a house coat. I ask for the principal. The principal, of course, allows me to take the test. I go ahead and take the SATs. Comes back, I get a perfect SAT score. Perfect SAT score. Now. In the meantime, I had gone through the school rules and realized that wearing a bathrobe to school was not against the school rules. It was nowhere noted. They never thought of it. It's much like technology when laws don't catch up to the technology, very similar. So I wore a bathrobe every day except the day we had basketball games because of course I had to dress up playing basketball as a privilege, not a right. I would wear my, uh, my bathrobe most of the days during the week, just wore my bathrobe to school. They, they try to fight it. There's nothing against school rules. Comes back, I get a perfect SAT score. Now, with my perfect grades, my basketball affiliation, and my SAT scores, combined with the fact that I'm a half Persian, half black, half Muslim, half Jewish kid, I'm the epitome of minority at the school, everyone loves me. And guess what? They had an entire award ceremony. I won this Macy Scholar. I, I had the supervisor, school attendant. They loved me. I wear the bathrobe to the auditorium and I give this speech. It was my version of the, I have a dream speech. And I look <laughs> at that administrator's eyes and I tell him boxes are meant for things and not people. That people who cannot see outside of their own box are those who force the rest of us to live within them. Social constructs are the destruct of civilized society.
Those words echoed through the auditorium. You know why? Because I was a punk, and that's how that goes. <laughs> and I wore the bathrobe ever since. I'm so glad I asked you that. I've known you for years, and I have never heard those stories. That's a real thing. Um, so we'll wind down with some little rapid-fire questions. Firstly, rapid fire what's, a, what's an app that you can't live without? Right now, I'm addicted to Clubhouse. I am Clubhouse groupie. I don't know if you all know about Clubhouse, but Clubhouse, I used to think crack was a problem in the black community. It's Clubhouse. Clubhouse is the problem. I can't live without Clubhouse. Who would you like to play you in a movie about your life? Let's say other than yourself. I would have to get a the guy from Bridgerton so that maybe it ups, <laughs> me, it ups me with the girl population. Maybe the guy from Bridgerton or Scarlett Johansson for diversity factor. <laughs> if you could wake up tomorrow having gained one skill or ability, what would it be? I would be amazing at bitcoin i feel that that's the skill that i need the most i would understand it i would be able to explain it i would be able to make decisions within it that would be my skill set that and that and actually having a good night's sleep those two would be amazing skill sets for me to have where's a place you haven't been to yet that you hope to visit <laughs> Uh, actually the only place that I like visiting is my bedroom. Everything outside of that is pretty much the same. I can Google the world. I really like my bedroom, but what's this if yeah, I had ahead, to visit ahead. one place, it would be Mars. I want to be on Elon Musk status. All right. <laughs> what's the song you like to jam to right now? A song that has been cracking in my car lately is call me. Maybe I think that's an underrated song. I think call me maybe is the jam. It comes on and you have to sing along. It, it's just a fun, good song. And uh, lastly, where can people check out your work and keep up with you on social media? Um, please find me all across the board at I am Tehran. That's I-A-M-T-E-H-R-A-N. If you don't know how to spell Tehran, it's actually the capital of Iran. So if you don't know how to spell it, just watch Fox News. It'll show up eventually. And also, feel free, I just met you, but this is crazy. Here's my number, so call me maybe. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This was profound. This was funny. Thank you, Tehran. I appreciate it, man. Uh, if anyone's curious about the podcast, you can check us out on Instagram at HDYDpod. This was a blast. Thank you. Ben, I'll see you at the top, bro.